Hello and welcome to Econoday Unplugged. It's Tuesday the 22nd of January 2019. I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London and with me as usual on the other side of the pond is our US expert Mark, ben Mark Bender. Sorry, I tried to get your name right, Mark, Mark Bender. Hello to you, Mr. Bender. Bender, hi. How are you doing, Jeremy? Right. Well, let's get on with this, show Because you know, this World Economic Forum in Davos, uh, the annual gathering of the planet's most important movers and shakers, begins today. However, such is uh, the current troublesome state of the global economy and its politics that many world leaders, notably those including the US, China, UK, France and India, are not expected to attend. So, with the IMF yesterday stirring investor concerns by revising down its growth forecasts, now is probably as good a time as any to have a look at how well, or indeed badly, the global economy is doing. So, Mr. Pender, we've been talking about your government shutdown for I've lost yes. track of four or five weeks, and I see yeah. the Fed started making some noises about hitting the economy. A so let's bit. kick off. Let me kick off with a straight question for you, then. Okay. Okay. Now, from from your these previous podcasts, I seem to recall listening as intently as I do that you suggested yeah. that the first quarter of the states is often a soft period for U.S. growth. So yes. if we assume this is shut shut down continues for a while longer yet, what uh -huh. chance do we have of an outright contraction in first quarter U.S. GDP? Well, it, it, whatever that chance is, it increases uh, as long as this government shutdown goes. Uh, the early estimates are very marginal for what, uh, how much it can shave. It's going to be, I guess, it's going to probably be an overall effect that will include government purchases, which is a direct component for GDP. Uh, um, but then you'd also have a bounce back effect uh, going on uh, into the second quarter. So the effect of the government shutdown hasn't really rattled anyone's uh, estimates for um, for the uh, for indicators. For instance, uh, Econoday's a consensus now for upcoming um, uh, unemployment claims on Thursday is 218,000. Now, that is up 5,000 from 213 in the prior week, but that was a, a surprisingly low number. And really, it's among, you know, it's holding at the at historic lows, uh, jobless claims, which uh, in this past week were sampled for the, um, the week that the monthly employment report is out so the early indication and so that's pointing to another strong um uh, labor market report for uh for the month of january which would be a surprise of course but that's what it looks like it, it will be so it's hard to tell what we have seen if i can go on just real quickly is consumer sentiment plunge that was a really surprising number um uh late last week that number if I can get a hold of it here, is uh, um, is it, it hasn't been that low to show that much of a decline to 90.7. The low 90s, about an eight-point decline, um, in uh, since the early part of the uh, expansion. So that was really quite a, a surprise, um, and it's the lowest reading since uh, President Trump's uh, victory. 
a couple years back, which sent all these sentiment readings, whether in the consumer or the business side, through the roof. So there is, and the consumer confidence index in late December also picked up a, a sharp decline. Okay, Mark, if I can ask you, an indicator which I must say I don't often look at, but I'm sure mm -hmm. you do. Mm -hmm. um, the Philadelphia Fed, their non-manufacturing activity, activity index, I saw it came out earlier on today, and if I got it right, it was one of the lowest readings. Um, the January index was, it, I think, it's one point naught, and that mm -hmm. seemed to be one of the lowest readings we had in an awful long time. Is this mm -hmm. a relevant indicator? Is it kind of just one of those little surveys we needn't worry about too much? It's not. Uh, it, well, it's the manufacturing side of the Philadelphia Fed re report that is the, the right. bellwether for these regional reports. Uh, the non-manufacturing side, of course, isn't really concentrated that much in economic indicators because it's the manufacturing side that are considered to show the pivots for economic demand. Uh, and those readings had, well, I mean, it's a, a conflict here because uh, – the regional reports, whether it was Dallas manufacturing, Kansas City manufacturing, Richmond manufacturing, plunged or went either into the negative ground or showed incredibly slow month-to-month -month growth. But when we had the manufacturing actual data coming out from the Federal Reserve, which is definitive data, and not these uh, monthly small sample reports where um, the respondents are asked to give their idea on what the month-to-month -month change is in a variety of factors. They, I think they can tend to be sentiment reports. So these, those reports have been going down. But the actual Fed numbers, and this kind of gets back to what I was saying about employment, the actual employment numbers, they look like they're going to be very strong. Uh, manufacturing production jumped 1.1% in December, which was a total shock, way outside anybody's expectations. So, uh, so what do we make of these reports? It's hard to say. I think they're sentiment reports. I think they can move up and down very quickly. And if somehow there's a breakthrough in the government shutdown, I don't think it'll have be a major economic effect uh, for the year, certainly, maybe maybe for the first quarter, but not the year. Okay, reassuring stuff. Um, let's move on to slightly less reassuring matters then, and that's really perhaps the state of certain other key areas of the global economy. If we kick off with Europe then, let's just do that because we've got the ECB meeting Thursday, so we'll get that out of the way. Of course, ECB's only just uh, finished its quantitative easing program at the back end of 2018. Really, markets will be just looking at what uh, the President Draghi has to say Thursday with regards to you know, the risk assessment from the ECB. That's going to be a thing to keep an eye on. At the moment, as far as the central bank's concerned, despite what has been a fairly significant welter now of uh, economic figures which have been on the disappointing side of expectations, they're still maintaining that the underlying strength of the Eurozone economy is holding up quite nicely and there's nothing to worry about. However, I think because we have seen some really quite poor numbers coming out of the Eurozone, I just quickly mentioned the industrial production figures. I mean, Mark talked about you know, some strengths coming out of the US side. Well, the November industrial production for the Eurozone down. Month on month, that was down 1.7%. And that was built on not just a bad month for one particular country, but France, Germany, Italy and Spain, all saw declines in excess of 1%. And effectively, it means for the Eurozone as a whole, if we don't see a 3% plus monthly bounce in Eurozone industrial production in December, Eurozone manufacturing will have ended 2018 in a technical recession. 
So however the ECB wants to look at it, you know, there's clearly some bad news going on the goods producing side. As we talked about previously, core inflation in the eurozone is still just trending sideways around about the 1% mark. So I think, you know, key numbers for the market this week, this week will be Thursday when we'll get the flash PMIs. If we see further weakness in those, then markets going to start getting a bit concerned. Perhaps that, you know, the ECB may have ended its quantitative easing program a little bit too early. Jeremy, so, Jeremy can yeah. I ask, how's the labour market? market in Europe. Well, the labour market's still doing okay. We saw a decent decline coming through in the last set of unemployment data. And this was only for November. Unfortunately, the you know, the unemployment figures or employment figures for the Eurozone tend to lag quite a lot. But we saw um the rate coming down to what eight point naught percent. That was um that was you know, by European standards one of the best figures we've seen in the best part of a decade or so, something like that. But of course it does sort of suggest that there's still a bit of an output gap there and you know, scope for the eurozone to grow faster without it triggering any big inflation worries. Um, so anyway, Europe then still certainly it's something which needs watching at the moment because there has been a surprisingly sharp slowdown. If it's continued in the first quarter, and I think you know, expectations about movements on um, ECB policy, if anything, could even start swinging back towards some kind of additional quantitative easing again. Um, the other point I think we should be mentioning when we talk about the global economy in particular is what's going on with China. Um, we had the China Chinese fourth quarter GDP numbers released uh, just yesterday, and they were disappointing. Essentially, it confirmed a, a, a further gentle slowdown. We're talking Chinese numbers here, so they never do that much in the first place. But nonetheless, they showed a further slowdown in growth in the fourth quarter, down to what, about 6.5%. Indeed, the slowest annual growth on a calendar year basis in China for over a couple of decades. Now, if you start looking at some of the entrails of this that are available, and it does seem that the trade numbers are starting to hit China to some extent now. Certainly, their exports to the US appear to be slowing down quite sharply. That may or may not have something to do with the ongoing trade war, but it's clearly having you know, something that markets need to be concentrating upon. And I think, you know, in terms of you know, where we go from here, well, we've seen this rally coming through in the stock market. Well, ignoring today, whatever happens then, but so far this month, a lot of it has been to do with you know, hopes that we're going to see some sort of trade deal between the US and China. Were that not to happen, and we do indeed see these tariffs being hiked again as currently planned on the 2nd of March, that's going to give this market a big hit because we're talking then about you know some question mark over the state of the US. Mark seems to be cautiously confident at the moment, but clearly still wary. A Chinese economy which is slowing and if any, slowing more quickly than generally expected. So that's the world's two biggest economies potentially just having a few problems. Jeremy, so Jeremy, yeah, are are is the UK and Europe are they trying to are they um, piling on any extra uh, trade pressures on China during this period right now? Well, the, the, the European Union at the moment really is trying to stand back from all this because, you know, in line with the US, you know, China is a very important trading uh, partner for the Eurozone. So in terms of tariffs and such like, they're not really doing anything. And the hope here, I think, is that, you know, there will be some kind of trade deal agreed between the US and China. Obviously, the back end of last week, we had this, you know, these reports coming out suggesting that China may be prepared to, you know, to start boosting its imports and, well, completely eliminate its trade surplus with the U.S. by was it well, that's right. Gold? If they buy an extra trillion dollars of U.S. goods, that's an uh, that's a trillion dollars of non-U.S. goods that uh, won't be bought, and that'll hurt Europe and it'll hurt the other Asian um, uh, trading partners. 
Yeah, that's right. I mean, it really is a question, I think, of whether or not it's going to be a direct boost to Chinese demand or whether it's simply going to be good news for US exporters, but as you say, at the expense of you know, world economies elsewhere. So I think you know, the nature of any kind of agreement like that has got to be watched you know, particularly carefully. And I guess you know, one other, wish, other point you know, we, we can't leave without uh, at least touching on Japan. I think you know, Japan has been sort of you know, chugging along for some while now, but uh, we have a Bank of Japan meeting taking place to, today. Results will probably be due out uh, tomorrow. I mean, no changes in policy per se is expected there. But nonetheless, we've seen further signs of deflation there. And without going through too many numbers, you know, the core inflation rate that they target, that dropped at the end of last year to what 0.7% from 0.9%. So it's still really soft. The trend, if anything, is in the wrong direction. And of course, the BOJ still got this medium term 2% CPI target. So the very least, perhaps we could see some mutterings coming from the BOJ about a downgrade, perhaps of their economic expectations as well. So if we kind of put all that little lot together, it's, you know, I think there's reasons certainly for concern about the state of the global economy and certainly good reason, I think, to be, you know, to hope at least that we see something coming out of this US-Chinese trade deal. Because if we don't, there could be all sorts of problems, um, you know, for investors involved in the big markets you now over coming months and quarters. Um, I guess before we finish, um, I can't go away without make, keeping a quick update on Brexit. Please don't tune quite off quite yet. <laughs> Just to say that, um, as people may be aware, Mrs. May uh, will be presenting her Brexit Plan B uh, next Tuesday. So that'll be the 29th of January. From how she, from the details she's outlined so far, all I think it's safe to say is it looks remarkably similar to her Brexit Plan A. Now, if that is the case, and again, as every chance, we're going to see the same sort of response next Tuesday and it will be voted down. This time round, if it happens, it looks as if there's going to be a number of amendments offered to this Brexit bill, which could in particular include putting on the table the idea that there cannot be a no deal. If that's the case, and that is going to be taken pretty positively by the markets, I think, because what financial markets in Europe don't want to see is a no deal just for UK falling out of Brexit. So a no deal would mean um, a, no you, deal. So they, a, a no Brexit? Well, no, a no deal would mean they haven't been able to sort out a trade deal before Brexit comes about. So effectively, it would mean that we get to the 29th of March and that's it, fall off the cliff time. So the, and, the markets, UK, and the markets would go up? No, the markets would go up if if this idea of a no deal is taken off the table. Oh. So what they're trying to amend legislation is to say that, look, if, if Mrs. May's deal doesn't go through next Tuesday, then we have to go back to the drawing board and ensure that, you know, we well, effectively what they'd want to do would be to defer the Article 50, you know, exit time. So instead of leaving in March the 29th, you know, the deadline be pushed weeks, months further out, whatever it may be. What's and the of best- course, What's the best indicator to look at Brexit uh, uh, results? Is it the pound? Is it the FTSE? What do we look at? Bond I'd, rates, UK bond rates, what do we look at? I mean, you can look at everything, but I think, to be honest, I mean, the fastest moving indicator is probably sterling. And I think if you look at the performance of sterling, I mean, it really is quite interesting. I mean, um, I'm the, I suppose the cross rate of sterling euro is probably the best guy because the dollar tends to do its own thing. And if we look at it since we had uh, the Brexit vote, 
um, being voted down. Um, but the pounds actually appreciated. And you think, well, why on the earth would do that when we're trying to get a deal with the EU? It's appreciated because the hope is now either that any deal we finally get the EU will be much softer. So until, you know, it's still closer ties with the European Union than would otherwise have been the case. Or indeed what some people are hoping the financial markets would love that Brexit won't happen at all. So I say the best indicator is really looking at the sterling euro cross rate. Okay, what else we got to talk about? Mark, anything else you'd like to chip in before we bring this ramble to an end? No, uh, I think uh, you're, uh, you know, I, I think uh, what you said, I'm cautious, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic, but there's still a lot of troubles. But just real quickly, existing home sales fell today. But this was data from uh, December before um, the mortgage rates uh, uh, started coming down. They've been down very significantly. So that should be a positive for housing going through. Um, so I, it's wait and see, you know, and find out what happens with this government shutdown. Tell me, I don't know if perhaps it's not a political question, but what are your, what's your sense on this government shutdown? Do you think that it will be resolved sooner rather than later, or are we in for a really bad run here? I think it probably will be resolved sooner than later. I think that um, uh, options are being played out now. And once those options are all, everyone lays their cards on the table, there probably won't be much point for it to extend. I think that's my hunch. Okay. We'll hold you to that, obviously. <laughs> Rightio, on which note then, Mark and myself would like to thank you as always for listening to our ramblings and we look forward to doing it again next week when, by the way, we hope to have our Asian expert, Brian Jackson, joining us. So please do tune in for that. In the meantime, on behalf of everyone at Conor Day, bye for now.